This episode of Go Be Wyoming is brought to you by Fly Sheridan. Save time, fly local, fly Sheridan. Like we were just saying off off air a little bit, uh, Terry and I have, we met about pretty much a year ago, really, is because we were in that new spot and uh, above Market Hall and we had been trying to set this up of let's get uprising on Go Be Wyo and talk about these topics. Um, so Terry, thanks for setting this up, uh, Executive Director of Uprising. And then we've got uh, Vic Survivor Advocate, Ashley. Um, and so that'll be very cool to hear kind of that side of it, because um, I think um, that's not talked about a whole lot. And we're, we're going to dive deep into that. So uh, thank you two for coming this morning. I know it's I didn't think it was going to snow this morning. Did yeah, you guys know it was going to snow? I mean, it was still snowing oh, when I came yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> frick. Um, it was a little cold. Yeah, it's wintertime in Wyoming. So, but, um, so I'll have Terry go first on what is Uprising? What is your guys' mission? Um, and yeah, this I think it's perfect time, and we're going to miss January, which is Human Trafficking Month, but um, hopefully everything's in your forefront. So we're going to get the whole sales pitch here from Terry. <laughs> I always have the sales pitch in my forefront. Um, Uprising is a fairly new nonprofit here in Wyoming. We got our tax exempt status in August, 2019. So we're about two and a half years old. So we're still pretty young, um, but I've been doing this work about nine years now. Um, I started doing this work, anti-trafficking work in Texas, where I'm from, um, and when I moved to Wyoming about four years ago, of course, when I got here, I started like having conversations about human trafficking and trying to find out, like, hey, who's doing this kind of work? And I quickly found out that there really wasn't many people doing human trafficking work in Wyoming. There wasn't a lot of at least community-based organizations that were doing any kind of human trafficking work. And so that's really how Uprising was born, just because... I'm like, I couldn't find any place to connect to do this work. And so I was like, well, I guess we need to create it. And I was really fortunate early on when I started having the conversations about human trafficking that I did meet a couple of, of people local in the state who were really interested in doing the work that helped kind of get us going. One of them was a survivor. So she co-founded Uprising with me. Um, and our mission really is just to empower uh, communities to be able to confront human trafficking through uh, education, awareness, and outreach. That's awesome. So started 2018 then? 2019. 2019. Okay. So we're almost on four years. Okay. We're, we're, we're going on three years. Three. Okay. Yep. Very cool. Awesome. Um, Ashley, how did you get involved with Uprising? So I actually became aware of Uprising through my therapist. I mm. was in therapy um actually just figuring out that my own experience was human trafficking. And she mentioned a new local nonprofit and I reached out to Terry and uh, met up with them and actually did my first like um, speaking engagement at the courthouse with them on a human trafficking march. And so I've just been working with them ever since. Awesome. That's very cool. Very, very glad it <laughs> bring people together very yeah. quickly. So, um, what were kind of the struggles early on, Terry? So obviously I would say as you Lack were looking, yeah, you were looking around there like, there's no organizations here. There's no, yeah. you know, there, like you said, there's no awareness. So you start uprising, you have some help, but what was, what was kind of your first, like what, what we need to do right away? Well, the first thing I realized was 
A fact I didn't know at the time when I moved here was that Wyoming is actually the last state to enact any human trafficking legislation at the state level. <clears throat> so we're kind of like the last to the table. And in Texas, where I'm from, we were doing amazing. Like we were like one of the few states really leading the charge. So it's kind of like I went from first to last. And <laughs> at first I was kind of bummed. I'm like, oh my gosh, where have I moved? Um, but really I see it just as an amazing opportunity. I'm like, wow, look, there's so much we can do here because there's nothing being done. And mm -hmm. I can really put my experience to great use in this community. And the biggest struggle has really just been that lack of general awareness. I think most people that I've met in Wyoming are so willing to learn. And so when I start that conversation, I'm like, hey, did you know anything about human trafficking? Do you know that's something that happens even in Wyoming? Most people are really, they're like, oh, I didn't know that happens here. And they're willing to learn about it. So that's the great thing. But um, getting that word out is probably one of the biggest struggles. There's actually, if you look up um, the National Human Trafficking Hotline, they do a heat map of the entire U.S. And you see all this like heat and all these red lights all over the country. And then there's like the square in the middle where there's nothing. Mm. And that's Wyoming. <laughs> and a lot of people might like misconstrue that as like, Ooh, we're such a safe state. We don't have any trafficking here. Look, we don't have any red lights. Um, but it's actually kind of the opposite. It's shows that there's not any awareness. So there's mm. nobody calling the hotline um, for help or calling for tips or to get information because they just don't really think about it here yet. And so we've spent the last two and a half years now really trying to hammer in a lot of awareness around the state um, and then working on sort of our, our model of where we knew we wanted to start and what we want to get to. So that's been really exciting. Cool. Uh, t explain some of the legislation that you know, Texas has that Wyoming doesn't necessarily have or, um, or maybe some things. Cause I think we've got some stuff passed, right? You guys have been yeah. able to work. Okay. Well, the, we haven't, there really hasn't been anything that new passed recently since I've been here. Okay. Um, but Wyoming, because they were last, the good thing about being last is you can see what everyone else did before you and you can sort of handpick like, ooh, that looks nice. That's working well. So our legislation, um, we actually have a pretty solid foundation because we were able to mimic what other states' legislation is doing. So there are some great statutes on the books. Um, as a movement, as the anti-trafficking movement, though um, it's kind of like once we reach a marker, it's like, okay, now what's the next marker that we need to meet? Right. And the movement as a whole um, is actually starting to shift now from where we wanted to build some base legislation in the beginning. Now we're like, okay, most of the states have gone on board and we're at a good place with this. So now they've sort of set the marker higher of like, now we need more um, protections for victims and different things like that. So that's now everyone's kind of like, downgraded again and there's a actual an international agency called shared hope and they do these state report cards every year um and i think last time that they did one was 2019 and wyoming i believe we were a c or a b at that point so we had worked our way up from an f and we were like yeah like we're we're chugging along and now they've just redid like the matrix for grading and almost every single state is now like an f I think the highest state is Florida with a C now. 
So it's mm. just like we just had this big reset kind of internally for the states and the organizations with human trafficking to where like, okay, now we have to start rising up again and, yeah. and trying to enact all this new legislation. I will say though, legislation is probably one of my, it's not my wheelhouse. It's the thing that makes me the most uncomfortable in my job. Sure. Um, because we're one of the only agencies in the state, like on the ground doing work, we have had legislators come to us. Um, the last legislative session, um, we helped, sort of um, give language um, and guide legislators who wanted to to put a new bill out there. It didn't pass. Um, and it was it was a terrifying experience a for me, honestly. <laughs> um, so it's just a it's an area of human trafficking that I never envisioned myself being in, but it's sort of like I had no choice but to jump in. So now I just spend a lot of time trying to learn mm -hmm. and just keep educating myself and be really thoughtful when I'm working in that realm and try to find a lot of people who know more than me to surround myself with so that they can help guide me when we have to make those kinds of recommendations and stuff. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, no, a lot going on, um, you know, in the, this issue is a very broad, I mean, it covers a lot of different things. So, um, no, that was cool. Um, in, in awareness wise, um, what are kind of some services that you guys provide or uh, I don't want to say services, but yeah, what, what are some things you guys do to provide awareness? Um, you know, and then if Ashley has something that, uh, in regards to the survivor side, you know, that'd be interesting to hear too. Yeah. Well, we have <clears throat> kind of our base, base thing is we say awareness, education, and outreach. So under that sort of awareness pillar, it's a lot of like community-based work. So we do lots of, um, we call them 101s, like human trafficking 101 presentations. So anytime there's a group or a business or anyone really who just wants to learn a little bit more, like we'll go in and we'll cater a presentation to the whatever time frame that they can give us. Um, we also do a lot in the community, like anything that we can be at and just have a presence at, you know, we try to take part in all of the, the cool community events and just like be out there. So people start to recognize us and see us and be like, oh yeah, those are the human, human trafficking people again. <laughs> um, under that education piece, that's really, um, for us right now is really a lot of prevention education and professional education. Mm. Prevention education is probably the number one thing that I'm most passionate about. It's the main reason we founded Uprising because we knew um, just from my experience in the field, when this happens in your community to a person, it is so detrimental. It's so expensive to provide services for someone who's experienced human trafficking. Um, I'm sure Ashley will share in a little bit, but most of the survivors I've met, they are dealing with trauma and all kinds of issues basically the rest of their lives. So once it's happened, it's so hard to handle in your community. So Uprising really tries to stay upstream of that. And our focus is really how can we stop it before it even starts? So we spend most of our time in that education realm and really trying to educate people about the root causes of trafficking because if we can address those, hopefully we never get to the point of this exploitation and trafficking. And so that really for us translates to youth. Our goal is to reach as many youth as possible, as early as possible and as often as possible. And so we do lots of work um, in the schools with different youth serving agencies. We do lots of parent and caregiver training so that people who are around youth all the time 
can sort of implement day-to-day routine stuff that's going to lower the risk of those youth ever being exploited in the first place. And sort of the flip side to that is the professionals because we have, you know, law enforcement, healthcare workers, educators, all kinds of people in our communities, and they have to have that training too because they're around youth. They're the ones who would handle a case if one presented itself in our communities. And so we also spend a lot of time doing professional training, um, so much so that we actually were just granted by uh, the Hughes Charitable Foundation this past year the funds to launch a conference for three years. So we're going to have our first human trafficking conference, and it's a regional conference this coming year. So it's really exciting uh, to see the work that's being done with professionals in the state. Where's that going to be held? That actually will be here because it's my conference, and I (laughs) wanted to do it in Sheridan. I'm like, what more beautiful place to have a conference? Um, We're targeting all the states around us. Um, And it's called GRIT, which is the Greater Rockies Immersive Training on Trafficking and Exploitation. And it's kind of a big deal. I mean, to have a conference in in Wyoming, like that, that last state to the table, so to speak, is really like it shows all the work that Wyoming has done. And we're really fortunate. There's, you know, like the Division of Victim Services in the state is supporting it. They're sponsoring part of the conference. And um, a lot of the agencies that we've trained and work with, they're like, yes, we're sending our people there. And now we're trying to find those key stakeholders in all the states surrounding us because we really want this conference to serve the rural nature. You know, uh, Ashley and I both just went to a, a national conference in D.C. in November and some of the stuff was great, of course, but some of it isn't as relevant to like, you know, it's more geared towards urban areas. Yeah. So we're like, our conference is going to be geared towards what's happening with us. So Mm -hmm. when we start to uncover all these stakeholders in these states, everyone's going to have a seat at the table so we can say what's happening in your community that we need training on. Let's bring somebody here who trains on that. So it's really exciting just to have that opportunity that like we're the ones who get to host it and launch it and who knows how it will grow. I think it'll really fill a need that there's not really another conference out there like this one. Yep. When is that? When's the first one? It is May 2nd through 5th, 2022. Wonderful. Yeah. And you can find any info on it. It has all of its own marketing. So it's gritwio.org and you can find all the information about the conference. We'll hit that again at the end so people can remember to be on the lookout for that. Um, you had a lot there and we're going to come back to a lot of that stuff, Terry, cause <laughs> I do want to cover it, but, uh, we got to talk to our other guest here, Ashley, that's sitting over here. So, um, Terry kind of gave us this, you know, mile view. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to dive deep into what your role is, uh, with survivors. Um, and yeah. if you want to share your story too, that, you know, um, that'd be great too, or however you want to do it. But yeah. So like I said, I, I originally found out about uprising as I was figuring out, um, through therapy that my own experience was trafficking. And I think that speaks a lot to, um, just the culture around here and the lack of education in that. Um, I mean, I was trafficked when I was 17 and being, um, 30 now and just figuring out, you know, that, um, my experience was trafficking, um, was a real eye opener for me in that, um, 
there's there's not not only is there not a lot of talk about it around here, but there's so little education that even those that are survivors um, have a harder time recognizing it because they just don't have the education behind it. Um, and so for me, as a survivor advocate, I mean, um, I speak um, at a lot of places and a lot of, um, you know, get-togethers, but the big part for me is when we get to go into the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like talking to the youth because I like giving them that background information. Um, the big thing for me is being able to just um, not only tell my story um, as a basis, but also to get this information to these kids so that somebody else doesn't have to end up in the situation that I was in myself. Um, I was trafficked by a boyfriend Um you know, I lived in Casper growing up. And so um, house parties and hanging out and, you know, the new older guy at a house party um, for me and for everybody there, you know, he was the one that everybody wanted attention from. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he paid attention to me was um, like just a spark of, you know, I'm good enough kind of thing. And yeah. that um, he really played on that. And, you know, he was only here visiting and... Um, after a few months, he actually moved back home where he was from in Minnesota. And um, I found out that I was pregnant <laughs> at 17, which was terrifying. Right. And he really, really used that to get me to, you know, he helped me plan um, every step of the way, the lies, the um, planning, the how to get money and everything to get me there with him and with the promise that he was going to take care of me and the baby and we were going to be a big happy family. Right. And, um, you know, looking back now, there were so many red flags. And had I had a little, just even just a tiny bit more education, even on something as basic as, you know, a healthy versus an unhealthy relationship, I think that um, I would have had a better grasp on what I was getting myself into. Um, but at that time I just had no idea. Right. I was naive and, um, you know, human trafficking, as far as I was concerned, you know, living in Wyoming, it didn't happen here. It was a big city thing. And I think a lot of people have that mentality Mm -hmm. and it has been, I mean, it's great to see that people are so willing to learn and to recognize that it does happen here and that it's not necessarily the, the thing, you know, the big scary thing that they think it is, but that it's so many things and so many possibilities. Um, but you know, just trying to get people to grasp the concept as a whole rather than that glamorized, you know, um, van with no windows picking you up in the corner kind of thing. So, um, as a, as a survivor, I think it's, it's super important. And, you Mm. know, as a mother myself, making sure that my kids have that education as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's my next question is, so when you go speak to some kids and students, um, you can just give us, some. um, you know, what are your big things that you try and educate them, you know, and, um, is it different too for boys versus girls or at all the same, or is it kind of a mix? So I think that that's another big thing as far as the boys versus girls. I mean, we, Terry and I, uh, work really hard to let the youth know that it happens to everybody and Mm -hmm. that it's not, um, you know, we have a big problem with, uh, male youth coming forward or trans youth coming forward. Um, because they, you know, it's, it's more of even more of a taboo for them than it is as a whole. And so a lot of people think that it is just, you know, the young pretty girls and it's, it's everybody. I mean, Mm -hmm. anybody, 
has the opportunity to be exploited. Everybody has vulnerabilities. And that's something that we're really teaching. And I think that that's probably for me, um, the most important part of what we teach is the vulnerability side of it and learning to recognize your vulnerabilities and know that they're not necessarily detrimental to you, but that they're something that you can own and be aware of so that somebody else can't exploit them. Yeah. Because my vulnerabilities were what, you know, got me where I was. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have this, uh, I'm trying to think of this question because, uh, I'm a personal trainer. And so I've got this mom that has a girl in junior (laughs) high, you know, so when you're sitting in front of these kids, one, you're talking about everyone's vulnerable. Okay. All of you are. Um, I think social media has probably, and I'm not an expert, but I think that has probably exponentially grown this human trafficking issue because of Snapchat and all these things for predators, whatever. But, um, you kind of hit on, um, your vulnerabilities and, um, the red flags, you know, especially like relationships, you know, um, and what I'm thinking about from this mom is, you know, what's the education on how kids treat each other in regards to boys to girls and girls, you know, girls on, you know, girls to girls, whatever. But are those things that you guys teach too to kids? Like, you know, boys, you shouldn't be saying some of these things or, uh, girls, you shouldn't be saying this to each other. Like what's kind of, what's kind of your, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely think that we do try to teach appropriate language, Mm -hmm. um, first of all. And I mean, we do go into, pornography and stuff like that it's huge with teenagers and again like you said with the internet and social media just the way that they treat each other and the things that they say um and you know as well as how much they put themselves out there how much personal information are you putting out there how much um about your own vulnerabilities are you putting out there um and i think terry can speak a lot to you know the the kind of girl versus boy and language kind of aspect of it and how we teach them to be more cognizant and aware of how that affects others. Sure. Yeah, we do. Oh my gosh. Working with youth is the best thing. Um, And it's really just honing in again on all those root causes. What leads to exploitation? So we, we spend a lot of time talking about what does grooming look like and understanding your vulnerabilities and consent. Um, Consent's a huge one. Um, I have for years worked on crisis hotlines, like domestic violence, sexual assault hotlines, and it never fails. You get young people who call in and say things like, I I think I was raped. And that always at first would blow my mind because I'm like, it's pretty black and white. Like you were, you weren't. But it's because we have all these young people who don't understand the concept of consent that... um, a lack of a yeah you can change your mind if you don't say no it doesn't mean you've said yes you know um a consent is like an enthusiastic freely given yes it's Mm -hmm. not a coerced yes and so that's a that's a really huge thing because as an exploiter is trying to develop a relationship with you and groom you to eventually be exploited like they're going to start hitting those boundaries so if students if young people are are able to recognize and create healthy boundaries, then they're more likely to realize when someone's coming up against those and be like, whoa, let me pump the brakes real quick and let me think about this. And that does start with the way that they talk with each other and learning consent with their classmates and their friends. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And then the the online and technological world, that's like a whole other thing. We spend a lot of time 
talking about and reading case studies and reading back and forth online conversations and pointing out the red flags in them. Um, the pornography is huge. That's a conversation I'm really passionate that every parent should be talking to their kids from young ages about. There's age-appropriate ways to approach those conversations. And for young people, like you said, the things with the apps and the Snapchat and the sexting, and um, now there's actually a, a crime called sextortion, which is when someone is like taking your sex and your pictures that you send out and they're using them to blackmail you or revenge porn. And it's just so interesting. Um, We recently worked with a group of about 30, I would say they were probably 12 to 13 year old kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we brought up revenge porn and sextortion, really we were just giving them the words for something they've already experienced out of 30 kids I had three disclosures of active sextortion that wow. was happening. 12 and 13 year olds. Yes. And so I'm wow. like, wow, I need to, I need to be having this conversation when they're like 10 and 11, yeah. not 12 and 13, mm-hmm. because it's too late at that point And they're, they're already experiencing it. So we just, like I said, we just do as much as we can to keep trying to get a little bit, reach kids a little bit earlier. And of course you have to cater things and, change your language age appropriate Uh, but there's ways like we've worked with as young as i think second graders now yeah second Um, through fifth i think as well yeah second through fifth graders and i kind of test it out on my own kids my youngest is in first grade so sure testing it out and terry has kids as well but um i think the thing that surprised me the most is and i think surprises a lot of you know at least the teenagers that we talk with the most is um know having nude or inappropriate photos of either yourself or another person your classmate your boyfriend your girlfriend whatever on your phone is a crime even if it's a picture of yourself it is still child pornography and a lot of kids don't realize that and I think that that really hits home when we talk about that and again we're not trying to tell them like don't be on your phones don't be on social media don't do these things because you can tell a teenager no till you're blue in the face but Um, just giving them the tools to be smarter about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's interesting. You brought up consent because I remember um, reading a Maxim uh, a Gladwell book and he talked about that. Uh, there's been a study about men and women. It's almost like a 180 of consent. You know, men think it's consent and the women are like, no, it's not consent. And it's like, these are young adults. And so that's interesting about consent. Cause like, mm-hmm. he's like, we biologically just by nature don't, have the same idea of consent, which is, and this was probably before social media. I don't think I media. heard consent when I was a <clears throat> young person. Yeah. Like that wasn't on my radar. <laughs> right. Right. Um, well, and that's kind of what we were talking about before is the education. You know, some of them are probably unaware that that's what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and they're unaware that mm-hmm. they contribute to this problem. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, continuing on the youth, you know, being a coach, um, you know, I think you and I talked about this, that I'd love to have uprising come to the athletics part to coaches. Cause I think, you know, you guys are going to educators. I'm going to ask you about that, but I think coaches need to also be in this conversation of, you know, what, what are some things we should be looking for? Um, you know, what are some things we should be teaching? Um, which, you know, I'm glad to say I'm part of a football staff that we hit a lot of those things with the young men about, you know, we did have a couple years ago where we were having some situations 
you know, social media wise. And we had to, you know, kind of sit them down mm-hmm. and be like, you know, walk them through like, you know, one, if you're going to go play college, you know, you're going to really future, not just college, but like future people are going to look at what you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's going to be detrimental. And then kind of that conversation about how do you treat women and how do you treat other people? And um, so anyway, so when yes. you, when you guys sit with educators, um, you know, what are some things you guys are hitting on to for them to be uh, looking for? And it sounds like you're probably, as you guys were talking about kids, you know, starting early and earlier. So we're almost into elementary teachers now, mm-hmm. um, you know, definitely junior high and high school. But um, so what are some things that um, educators are not aware of or things that their biggest challenges are? I, I think the thing with educators, and I would even lump like parents and caregivers into that. Absolutely. Anyone who like is raising kids or spending hours a, a day, them, yes. <laughs> like educating children, um, they often think of like human trafficking and either they think it's like something that's not really applicable to them in their community, or they're like, I know this is a problem, but it's such a big problem that it's like, it scares them. Like we hear that from educators and parents all the time. They're like, the internet is scary and I don't know where to start. Um, But we try to, again, shift that focus, just like with the youth, we turn them to the root causes. We're like, you don't need to worry about all these like horrific scenarios you see in, in the news and the media. If you just focus on like these few things, like you're going to exponentially lower the use risk that are in your lives. Um, and it's, it's very much mirrors what the same things that we talk about with the youth. So we talk with parents about vulnerabilities, helping your children understand their own vulnerabilities, be vulnerable with them, tell them about your vulnerabilities, tell them about the ones you had when you were young. Um, talk about how people can take advantage of vulnerabilities so that your kids are more likely to recognize that. Um, talk with your kids about consent. You know, it's really easy to practice consent. You can have a toddler in a preschool room or in your home and you can, you know, ask them, can I give you a hug instead of just like, you know, going up and hugging them or touching them. So, you know, if you raise a kid expecting consent and then this stranger comes along and pushes that boundary and tries to, you know, touch their body or in in some way and not ask for consent, they're going to be like, whoa, what's happening? You know, that's not normal for them. They are used to a culture of consent. So it's really just about little tiny things in your day-to-day routines that you're modeling and having ongoing conversations that are going to lower your kid's risk. And then it's also about sometimes we have to like remind educators and parents, like you want to make sure that you're a safe adult that these kids feel comfortable coming to, Mm. especially teenagers, you know, like if they, they don't trust you, they're not going to come to you if they're dealing with a sextortion problem or something, you know, if the parent is like closed off to that or would, you know, get angry at them or something like that. So it's also kind of checking parents and being like, this is a reality of the world we live in. And so if you have these open conversations with your kids and you tell them if you ever get into this sort of trouble, like I'm here and I will help you navigate it and like in a non-judgmental way, like they're going to be a lot more likely to actually like trust you and come to you. (laughs) So is that the same experience that you've had with talking with survivors too is kind of uh, in regards to yeah, just that. I think, yeah. um, just that from the very beginning that, um, you know, awareness of your own body and what you're okay with and what you're not, 
Um, again, like Terry said, even something as simple as can I give you a hug versus not, you know, there's the whole go give your auntie Jen a hug, you know, mm-hmm. it's fine. And listening to your children and knowing, you know, giving them that freedom and that um, choice with their own body of I'm not comfortable with a hug or I'm not comfortable with this or that, you know, as they grow up, that gives them that just that much more confidence to say no or to know that something's wrong if somebody's doing something even without their consent. And, you know, again, I was always taught, go give your auntie a hug mm-hmm. or go sit on your grandpa's lap. And it was, you don't question adults when it comes to that. And I think that consent needs to really be one of those things that it's okay for kids to um, say no to, even when mm-hmm. it's the adults. And it's not, um, it's not disrespect. It's respecting their own bodies and their own um, boundaries. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's, that's, an e- that's an easy little trick, you know, for mm-hmm. especially young, you can start yeah. that super young and you can do that at all levels. Um, I'll ask this because I just kind of had this, like this would be kind of a cool conversation. Um, Terry, if I, if I'm a coach and I have an athlete come to me and they've got some sort of situation, you know, what are, what are some things that, uh, an edge, you know, this would be a parent, educator, coach, whatever. Um, a safe adult. Yeah. Safe adult. You know, what, what are things I need to be thinking about as I'm listening through this and helping them uh, work through it? Number one is remain calm. Like do not overreact. Yeah. You might be like, Oh my God, this is shocking or like horrified or upset or sad or whatever, but you need to like keep your chill in that moment. Um, and really just focus on, you don't have to problem solve in that moment. Really. I think when youth especially or anyone is starting to disclose something, they're just looking to like share and get it, get off, it off, yeah, get off their chest. So it's really just about listening at that point. Um, number two is also don't expect this big, ex- this big disclosure. Full Most story. of the time, yeah, you're gonna get snippets. They're gonna test you. You know, they might give you a little bit of information, and they're gonna see how you handle that. They're gonna wait. They're gonna see like, did this person go and tell my parents or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, and see if they're re- if you're really someone that they can trust, and then. Chances are, if you've handled that situation well, you know, they're probably going to come back to you and they're going to give you a little bit more and a little bit more. And then the last thing is sort of like, know know your limits. The biggest thing is safety. If you feel like a youth has come to you and is disclosing a situation, if you feel like their safety is in danger, that's where you hit that, like, I'm a mandated reporter right. um, in the state of Wyoming, and I need to inform the law enforcement or the school district or whoever it is. Um, if it's not a safety issue, that's when you can keep sort of, like, giving them the advice and the navigating and maybe trying to lead, like, um, and I always say, like, try not to, like, tell youth, like, this is an unhealthy relationship. That's unhealthy. Instead, you know, try to help them come to that conclusion themselves. Have to kind of get on their level and let them. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. need to get to that conclusion. So you can ask leading questions. Like, do you think that sounds healthy? Or, you know, you know, what do you think? And the chances are, I mean, we know this over and over. When we teach parent and caregiver classes um, or professional youth classes, and then when we're actually teaching youth, we will ask the same questions or we'll throw up the same slide with an inappropriate picture and we'll ask the adults and the youth to break it down. And they always come to the exact same conclusions 
Um, it just takes a little more like leading and asking and letting the youth get to that point. Yeah. And so that's really all it's about, just listening and then and let them lead the conversation. Yeah. yeah. Helping guide don't them push to the them answer. Into anything and don't also, you know, along with that, don't give them information. Mm. Right. You yeah. don't want to push them into something that might not be true because they think that that's the direction they yeah. need to go. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like that. You know, it's trust first. There's a reason why they're coming to you and they're and uh, I like that also that they're not going to, they're not going to disclose the whole mm-hmm. thing. Um, and then, um, at, you know, it is important that, like you said, if safety is on the line, then if, in Wyoming, you've got, you know, depending on what your role is, you have to report that, but okay, that was great. No, that was awesome. Um, what is um, now business? You know, you kind of mentioned you go to companies or organizations. So um, what does that 101, um, you know, meeting look like? And how is that different maybe from, you know, um, when you're going into a school and like educators mm-hmm. or kids? So Yeah, it's completely different when it's just like a general community awareness presentation. You know, that we typically focus on a lot of it towards the beginning it's the little bit of time where we're really like, what really is trafficking? Because like Ashley sort of alluded to earlier, most people have a picture in their head. And if you ask them what that picture is, the answers we hear all the time are like the white van snatching kids off the corner, girls chained in basements, people being like moved across state lines. I mean, just the word trafficking, it's really not a good word for this crime because it implies like a movement. Um, so really, it's really kind of teaching people like here's the actual definition of trafficking and look how broad this crime can be Mm -hmm. and once they understand that it's a lot more easy for them to realize oh this could easily happen in my community and no one would ever know um because i mean it can happen online it can happen in person it can happen from your family like there's just a million different scenarios of what trafficking can look like so we always start with that and sort of bust the myth of human trafficking looks like the picture in your head when it doesn't. Um, From that, we typically go into more about what is the climate of trafficking in Wyoming. Mm. So uh, I typically spend a little bit of time talking about maybe why you don't realize that human trafficking happens in Wyoming. And that typically looks like um, kind of informing people of how, like Ashley mentioned, a lot of survivors don't even realize that they are right. a victim of trafficking. You know, they don't know the definition of trafficking. So this is a crime that's really underreported because they're not going to law enforcement or to victim providers and saying, you need to help me, I'm a trafficking victim. And when you couple that with the lack of professional training that's been available in Wyoming, um, what we see is a lot of people might be coming into contact with trafficking victims and they misidentify them. So maybe they think, oh, this is short. Yeah, this is clearly a sexual assault case or a domestic violence case. And they don't know those questions to ask to dig deeper to realize that there's even more going on because a lot of times trafficking is coupled with lots of other crimes as well. Um, We talk about things like reporting, the way reporting is done. I've seen human trafficking cases on front page news across Wyoming. Um, There was a case in Lander this year. There was a case in Campbell County this year where I read these reports and like the one in Lander talked about a 52-year-old man who had given a phone to a teenager in exchange for um, sexual acts. And I'm like, that's human trafficking, but they don't call it that. Mm. Um, And a lot of that is because reporters report 
based off the police reports. Right. And the police, police are not reporting or recording it as traffic. Trafficking. Yeah. Well, and that leads to, it's a lot of chicken before the egg because yeah. in Wyoming, we have yet to prosecute a single human trafficking case at our state level. So there's not an experience. So of course, when they've made this arrest, they are probably going to want to put the charges that they think they're really likely to actually land those charges and put that person away. Right. So it's just like, a snowball effect, but it's like, it's here. It's just, you have to know what you're looking for to sort of be able to identify it in your community. And that's um, the other thing we really go into with, yep. you know, professionals that are, you know, more outside, not necessarily directly um, in contact with youth is things that they can look for. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things they can identify when they're uh, near it. Um, would you say uh, this question popped in my head, especially with how you said Wyoming, we don't really have, I'm going to guess statute wise, we don't have a crime for human trafficking. There's that, a statute. Yeah, there's okay. a statute. A oh, I am not. The <laughs> I was going to say it must, it obviously, it obviously must not work if, if, if law enforcement is not I think getting it, people with this crime. I think it could work. I think there's a lack of experience mm. with using trying that. It, yeah. Trying um, it. statute. And so it's harder to navigate for those that have never tried it before. So it's a new thing that, you know, there's it, a higher chance of the person getting off on the crime because it's mm -hmm. sure. Yep. Well, and if it's, yeah. if it's muddy or unclear, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it needs to be cleaned up a tad so that when we do have a case, we can just, <laughs> the good news is I, I'm sure there's tons of prosecutors out there who will eventually like, be ready to prosecute these cases, but it just takes a lot of background work. We've yeah. done for two years now, we've brought leading experts into Wyoming to do law enforcement training on how to investigate these cases at the grit conference. We're bringing in a, a DA who's prosecuted these cases and, you know, hopefully the right people come to the table because when they have the training and they feel more confident in it, hopefully we will eventually see them trying to prosecute mm -hmm. some of those cases in right. the state and maybe realizing I some think, of the yeah. cases they've already had probably qualify like after as that trafficking. one person finally can get over that hump, yeah. then it, you know and like you said chicken and egg you know mm -hmm. the community kind of has to start yeah you know being more aware and then hopefully you know recognizing we, it and yeah. realizing that it Tra is train our yeah. law enforcement you know it takes the community to tell the law enforcement that that's something we want to cover and then and then just domino so okay interesting very cool um i'll oh, shoot just had it oh that leads us into you guys had a great post on the um i'm forgetting her name now the maxwell the trial. maxwell trial um and the post was regarding you know there's a push for we want all that information um public and not not necessarily her information but from survivors. Is that kind of correct? Am I? Well, the, the thing about the Maxwell trial, I think our most recent post, like the kind of thinking behind it is I, I don't think people realize when they're sharing that. I mean, this trial has gotten so much publicity, mm -hmm. you know, um, it actually back even when it was just like mostly Epstein that we were looking at that sparked a whole movement uh, that the hashtag save the children movement type of thing. Mm -hmm. And there was so much when people just get on fire like that, they just start sharing everything they see. And I saw so much like unfactual misinformation being spread. I saw so many people like posting news of this trial um, and Maxwell and their own opinions and having worked so close with survivors for many years now, um, I'm very acutely aware now how that affects people who have experienced this type of crime. Um, I can't even imagine what the survivors 
connected to that case have felt like the past several years. It's probably been hell for them. But anyone who's experienced this, you know, Ashley, you, pr- you could probably speak to this better than me, but, you know, they can get severely triggered. You know, if someone you love doesn't know that you've experienced this and they repost that on Facebook with, you know, a snarky comment or something, you don't maybe realize how that affects them and it can prevent them from wanting to come forward and share their own experience. And, you know, that stops disclosures. That stops, you know, people from getting prosecuted because if they're not going to come forward, there's no chance they're ever going to want to try to push and actually put their trafficker or their buyers away. And so we just tried to take that trial and a lot of people and a lot of even anti-trafficking organizations are sharing about that trial and their sort of own opinions on it. But um, Uprising, we like to look to the survivors in the movement and what the survivors are saying is, hey, you need to be careful with sharing this stuff. So we just try to amplify that message and be like, just be cautious. I know that this is splashed all over the headlines, but, you know, read the information, take it in, but you don't necessarily need to give your own opinion <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I think as a survivor, I mean, first of all, it's re-glamorizing the trafficker again. You know, it's using the survivor's as stepping stones for the trafficker to have all of this fame and media attention. And again, they're being not only used and almost re-trafficked, but also it's traumatic to not only have to relive through that, but, you know, they're seeing it everywhere. They can't get away from it. And they're being asked about it or it's on their news feed or misinformation is being shared or even as somebody who, you know, isn't necessarily tied to that case specifically, just as a general survivor, you know, hearing misinformation or reiterations of other people's traumas can be traumatizing in and itself. It can be triggering. And um, especially if misinformation is being shared or, you know, there's many survivors that don't want to be public. They don't want their information out there. And, um, when it's done without their consent, you know, again, that can be very traumatizing and there's nothing that they can do about it. Right. So how can we as a community, you know, cause it's a kind of a play devil's advocate here. It's kind of a, a chicken and an egg, right? Cause we want to we want to raise awareness, but, you know, we need to be careful about, you know, are you putting a snide comment on, you know, on that post when you share it? And, you know, um, you know, for people that might not know human trafficking, you know, so, um, but how can we, you know, bring awareness to the issue without, um, you know, going overboard? I think what's happening with this is, I think what you actually, how you put it is, you know, we're kind of glam, you know, we're, giving more popularity to Maxwell and Epstein and, and, you know, and, you know, as we were talking before, you know, we're not talking about the demand, you know, there's people in the dark there that we're not talking about, but, um, so anyways, what, so how can we, you know, what are things that people can do to, uh, combat that? Share good info. I I always tell people like, the best thing to do, honestly, is find a really legitimate organization or agencies or survivors. There's a lot of amazing, um, very public human trafficking survivors. Um, and, sh- you know, it's usually safer to reshare something from them 
than just something that you randomly see Joe Schmo share on your newsfeed. Yep. Or TMZ or (laughs) usually if it's good information, you'll be able to find it somewhere else. Yeah. 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 You should be able to source something if it's a quote unquote fact or a statistic. Um, And yeah, like I always tell people if you are on, if first of all, if you see something on a meme, don't reshare it. If it's on a meme, it's, it's, you know, it's probably not legit info. Just don't reshare that. (laughs) Good rule of thumb. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But if you see a statistic or something thrown out there that you're just like shocked by, chances are like something's up with that. Like if it's just out there to shock you, it's probably not the best information to share. And when in doubt, ask, like reach out to an organization like ours and say, hey, I saw this fact or whatever. Do you know anything about this? Like we will find the study and try to figure it out for you. We have a huge nationwide network of people who, you know, are running a lot of these studies. Um, So you just got to be careful. You know, a, a really good example that I like to give during the whole Save the Children movement, I can't tell you how many times, even the the human trafficking march that we that was done yep. in Sheridan, um, there was people holding the signs that said 800,000 kids a year are trafficked in the U.S. And when you look through those studies, and it's, I mean, I even saw other agencies sharing that statistic, um, but I, I took some trainings from people far smarter than me, and they said, let's look at this study, and they pulled it up, and it came from NICMIC, the National Center for Missing Exploited Children. And 800,000 children in a year, like almost 10 years ago, were how many kids were reported missing that year. So first of all, it doesn't mean that they were trafficked. They were just reported missing. But what you have to understand about the way Nick Mick tracks missing children is like, say there's a youth on probation and he's supposed to go meet his probation officer. If he's five minutes late, his his probation officer is required to mark him as a missing child. Mm. Maybe he shows up five minutes later. He can't undo that data entry. It's it there. Also doesn't it's account counted. For multiple cases with one child. Right. Yeah. Where they're so, running away. Yeah. There's tons of multiples. Most of those kids reported, you know, within like, I think it's like 48, 72 hours. Um, they're found, they're recovered, but it doesn't take away that statistic that they were reported. So I'm like, there's no way, that's not 800,000 children a year being trafficked. Um, but it's like people just find these facts out there and they're so quick to throw them up on their sign or throw it up in their news feed. And it's like, you got to stop for a minute because it, it can yeah. do harm. It's not that we don't want the information out there. It's that we want the correct information. Yep. We want the right there. information out right. there. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And yep. wrong information can just do a lot of harm. It can do a lot of harm to survivors. Um, with the Save the Children movement and those facts, suddenly everybody became a human trafficking investigator. You know, like the hotline is flooded with calls about like Wayfair cabinets and things like that. So people who were actually in trouble couldn't get through. Right. And it was like a huge problem. So it's just like people don't think of the 10 steps ahead, what this could cause. Right, right, right. No, that was great. And I think people need to hear that, you know, especially in this issue because it is dealing with people. You know, I think we always forget, you know, there are people involved in mm-hmm. everything that we do. Um, Oh, I had a question. Um, yeah. Ashley, when you <clears throat> are talking with survivors, um, what are some things um, that would have been helpful for them, like um, via family and friends that might not know that they're a survivor? I'm trying to phrase this question right. So how could 
how could they help that person in regards to like, Hey, you might, you know, you need to go talk to uprising or, um, you know, we think you might, you know, that situation might've been trafficking, you know, what's the best way to go about that when you kind of stumble upon it. And this is, you know, so this is kind of like, personal life, friends, family, yeah. maybe like business. Do you suspect yeah. someone you know yeah. might yeah. be being trafficked? Um, again, I think, you know, you kind of had a good start there with just giving resources. Um, unfortunately, there's not a ton of resources in our community. Um, obviously, there's um, different places that you can go, but just being aware and being gentle. I mean, you don't want to push somebody into, you know, I know for me personally, if somebody had come up to me before I was ready and said, I think you were trafficked, I would have been like, ha ha, leave me alone. Yeah. Like, um, I think not putting a label on somebody is really important. Mm. Um, I can call myself now a human trafficking survivor. Um, and it doesn't bother me when other people do because I am. But for people who have recently gone through it or who are going through it, I think that that label, especially with the lack of education and information that people in our community have, I think it's uh, kind of like the big le- you know, letter A. It's a big yeah. stamp yep. that makes them stand out and makes them feel different and wrong in some way. So just being very gentle, being aware of what resources are available and um, – just knowing your audience, I guess. I mean, if it's somebody that you're really close with, obviously, um, you can have those more open conversations. If it's somebody you're not necessarily as close with, maybe um, finding alternative ways um, or maybe speaking with somebody that they are closer with. Gotcha. No, that was great. Yeah. I know um, our co-founder, Alexandra, who's also a survivor of trafficking, she also points out that label of survivor, like, a lot of times people who, you know, we're, we're not victims or survivors, we're, we almost see it as like, oh, it's this thing to be celebrated. Like, you're a survivor. You survived yeah, it. It's like, like a you're gold strong. star or something. And she was always like, that was the most heavy burden to carry. She's like, mm. some days I didn't want to be a survivor. Some days I just wanted to be the victim. Like, I, I felt like the victim. And she's like, I hated it when people would be like, you're a survivor. And so I think just you just have to be cautious, like, not quick to label in any way. The big thing is letting that person lead, you know, yeah. lead the interactions. When in doubt, ask. I mean, all the time, you know, when I'm working with survivors and stuff, when, when we came up with the title Survivor Advocate, I think... Ashley and I had a conversation like, what do you want to be called? What do you feel like your job is like here? Like, you know, you're going to lead that and I'm going to follow because you're the person with lived experience. You're the expert in this, not me. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, is there anything you guys wanted to cover that we haven't covered? There's tons of stuff we could cover. (laughs) There's a lot. I feel like we we hit some really great topics today. Um, it was very informative. You know, I think uh, anyone listening through, you know, they've got kind of all the little tools they can have uh, if they encounter something. Um, I always let you guys end out, you know, how can they find Uprising? How can they reach out to you, Terry? How can they reach out to you, Ashley? Um, and then um, you can plug again the Grit Wild, uh conference. Yeah, absolutely. So we're pretty easy to find um, on all social media. Everything's under Uprising W-Y-O. Um, website too. Yep, our mm-hmm. website is uprisingwyo.org. You can reach me or Ashley through the website. You can Ashley loves to speak, so you can book 
um, Ashley to come speak at an event or something. You can book a presentation online. Um, and we do any kind of stuff, really. Yeah, any- don't be afraid. If it's not something we've done before, we are more than willing to try it out and figure out how to make it work. So yeah. any kind of organization, group, um, whether it's church or professional or even just a group of friends that get together and you know want to do better, um, we will do any kind of yeah. training. Yeah, and you've got Terry can come talk, Ashley can come talk, and you know you guys kind of talked about what you guys would talk about. So, yep. um, and we can zoom, we can cater we can it to person, however you like, need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Um, and then in May, be on the lookout. Gritwyo is it dot org? Yes, gritwyo dot org. That's the trafficking conference that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's open to anyone who wants to attend. It's definitely geared towards um, professionals. professionals. Yep. So probably educators, uh, law enforcement. 100%. Um, and there's an early bird rate right now for registration that will end when we hit a certain number. So those have been filling up pretty fast. But um, yeah. Great if you are a professional or if you're just somebody who wants some more information. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, Terry, Ashley, thanks for coming in. I learned quite a bit, so hopefully this is great for you guys and getting the word out. And, uh, um, you know, hopefully we'll have you guys back in if you guys want. So we'd love to have you guys back in to talk about anything. So Always. Thanks for having us.